My father was brought up in a Victorian home. His father was born during the time of Queen Victoria. And the Victorian generation were very reluctant to show their emotions, particularly the British. They had what we call the stiff upper lip, which means that when you felt emotion in your heart, you controlled yourself and you didn't let your lip tremble. And so my father was quite stern. He was a great provider. But I never was sure if you really approved of me. The family motto was really little boys should be seen but not heard. <laughs> and I was a very noisy little boy. But I didn't realize being just a child that my noisiness and my behavior was attention seeking. And my attention-seeking was because I had a longing, a longing for approval, a longing to be accepted, to be affirmed, to be loved. And I grew up in my perception without that from my father. And so I did everything that I could to earn it. I worked hard, I mowed the lawn, I cleaned his car, I polished the hood, the bonnet as we call it, with Simon eyes, which was a wax, which was terribly easy to put on, but dreadfully hard to get off. And at school I really misbehaved. Again, I was attention seeking. I wanted approval, I wanted affirmation, I wanted safety. I sat next to a boy whose name was Stephen Michaels. My name is Michael Stevens. We did it deliberately to confuse the teachers. And one wonderful day, in that confusion, I, who usually registered F's and D's, got an A. But it was Stephen Michael's A because the teacher had muddled us. I got his A, and he got my F. So I ran home to my father and said, look, Dad, Dad, look, I got an A. It's the first A in my life. And I thought he would break out in celebration. But he looked at me and he said, well, what about all these Ds and Fs? I felt at that moment, no matter what I could do or not do, I could never please my dad. My journey towards the fatherhood of God is very relevant to my journey as a son to my earthly father. Do you realize that your ability to take hold of and enjoy the pleasure of the father, the heavenly father's love for you, is directly correlated to your experience of growing up with your earthly father? And for many of us, some of us in this room, we need God to break in and change that to bring us into truth. You see, Jesus, as he began his ministry, at his baptism, began from approval rather than working for approval. 
So as he goes into baptism, not that he sinned, but to fulfill all righteousness, heaven explodes, and the heavenly Father just can't contain himself. And he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He couldn't help himself. This is my, that's ownership. Do you feel owned this morning? My beloved, special, the apple of my eye. We all long to be special. I used to say to my daughter, Susie, you know, you're the favorite. So Peter would come to me, our third-born son, and say, well, can I be the favorite? Why does she have to be the favorite? Do you know in God, in the mystery of his wisdom and love, we are all his favorite. Because we humanly think one is above two, which is above three. We have, I like ice cream, I like chocolate chip, I like, and third is vanilla, and fourth is, but not with God. God can have every one of us individually as the favorite. You're the favorite. I say that when I'm feeling a little bit insecure. At my age of nearly 51, that does occur sometimes. I say, God, thank you, Father. You know I'm your favorite, don't you? And I feel the warmth of his embrace. My beloved son. Son is identity, and identity is security. The reason why my journey was so insecure was because I didn't really know my identity as a son. In whom I'm well pleased. Of course, you ask many believers and followers of Jesus, what's your goal, what you want to do, what's your life mission? Well, I want to please God. And that's great. Change the word a bit. Say, I want to give God pleasure. That's got a different feel to it. That you and I could actually disturb the emotions of the almighty, uncreated God do you realize that you can give him pleasure? Would you like to do that? Well, just close your eyes for a moment. Tell him, Father, I love you. Be in my life. Tip your head back and smile at the Father. Now you're giving him pleasure. How does that feel for you? Does, you? does that give you pleasure in giving him pleasure? In other words, you're getting pleasure from his pleasure. In whom I'm well pleased, he said. You find the same thing with the, the prodigal father. You remember how the son returned from the pig pen of his life in the parable. And he said to himself, as he's going back to his father, he says, I'll, I'll say to my father, I'm sorry, I repent. Now make me as a hired servant. So there was returning, 
There was repentance, which was good, and then there was the effort to try and repay. And that was bad. And he comes to his father, and he gets the first two out. He said, I've, I've sinned, I've done wrong. And before he can get the words out, make me as one of your hired servants, the father stops, jumps in, said, bring the robe, put it on him, you're my son. And there's a celebration. And so, the tendency in my life in this journey towards the fatherhood of God was to try and work for approval rather than working from approval. I was wanting to work to get his pleasure rather than knowing that I had his pleasure and now by working and serving and loving him, I can give him more pleasure because the whole of life is about pleasure. You were created for the pleasures of God. Or the glory of God is another more theological way of putting it. I like the word pleasure better, don't you? You cannot repent of wanting pleasure. You're created for pleasure. So Jesus, it says, I mean, Dan quoted it this morning from 11, uh, Matthew 11. Jesus came to reveal the Father. I remember when our first son was born. Now, you're all excited when your wife is pregnant. And... Uh, it's nothing like the experience when the baby arrives. I remember going to the hospital, and I held this little bundle in my arms, and one eye opens, and he looks at me, and I go berserk. I, I, I start shouting, he looked at me, he looked at me, my son looked at me, and the nurses come running in, what's all the noise about the doctors, is everything okay? And, but then to have another son, and then another son, who's sitting here this morning, I'm so proud of you. And then finally a daughter, <laughs> the favorite. <laughs> Susie is the only one who calls me daddy. The others call me papa. I like daddy. I enjoy Papa. Oh, but when your daughter calls you Daddy. And I used to listen to people pray. And they began to address the Heavenly Father as Papa and Daddy. And my Victorian heritage bristled at Daddy. How familiar was that? How too intimate? How can you call the Father the God of all glory who screwed the stars in place and hung the moon in its position and ran his finger down the mountain. Daddy? Seemed presumptuous to me. Until one day, I was walking with Penny through the streets of Jerusalem. There was a little boy there with his kip on and his back of his head. It must have been about five or six. And he'd climbed up onto a ledge and being so small, he couldn't get down off the ledge, and he was frightened to jump or slide off. And he began to cry, and he shouted out, Abba! Abba! His mother and father had walked on a little ways, and I saw the father turn around with all of his curly sideboards and keep on and that, you know, the Jewish thing. And he walked back, and he just picked up his son, and he said, Abba, Abba. 
little boy, Abba, Abba, Abba. And it changed me. Several marks in my journey towards, which I'm still on, enjoying the fatherhood of God. That was a moment I heard Abba. So now, and from then onwards, I began to, in my prayers, use the word Abba. I, I, I still can't get to Daddy, but Abba, I can enjoy that. Abba, oh, we love you, Abba. You are our Daddy. Can you call him Abba? And so when this first son was born, and I, I mean, he was only like hours old, and I was running to the neighbor's house and said, look, look, look at this boy. The feelings, the emotion, the stirring, the pride, the just the electric, I can't put it into words how I felt. I was just speaking to Moya, to uh, Maya, and uh, telling her how exciting this event is going to be. You've no idea. I mean, there's a little bit of frustration to begin with, but once he's out. The scripture in Luke came to me. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? And when our boys and Susie and that, they got up and they left home, they took everything. You know, everything that was dear to me, well, they got it because the heart of the Father is just, I just want to be generous and explode and give to you and give to you. How much more then? If you, being evil, know, give good gifts to your children, how much more generous is God? How much more you can't calculate. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the imagination what God has prepared for those that love him. You are. An empty depository for the generosity of God. He is a good, good father. He's good morally. He's good in integrity. He's good in mercy. He's good in grace. He's good in love. He's good in wisdom. He's, even his discipline is coming out of his loving goodness for us. For his discipline, Hebrews tells us, is only a mark of the fact that we're his sons and daughters. For if we were not, we would be called bastards. So the proof of his fatherhood of your life is that he disciplines you, and we rebel at discipline, don't we? Do you remember? How your kids, you lie and cheat and run and do anything to get away from the discipline of dad. He's a good father. Even his discipline is with a view to removing everything that hinders the receiving of more love. Lord, we pray. Increase the capacity of our hearts to receive the Father's love. Do you know why it's so critical? I had a spiritual father who came into my life in about 1966. His name was Arthur Wallace, and he was a great father in Britain and in other countries. He moved all over the world. But there was a short time when he was confined to Britain 
because his mother was senile and he had to take care of his mom, we happened to live nearby and he took up the role of discipleship or fathering of my life for many years. And he showed me what it was to just be accepted. I felt safe with him. He was so kind to me. I mean, I did such stupid things. I was so big-headed. You know, he'd say, well, what do you think about this? Oh, I said, well, Arthur, that's very obvious. And he would put his arms around me, and he would pray with me, and he taught me how to pray a little bit, taught me about the kingdom, taught me about the king, played tennis with me. We went sailing together. He... I sailed and managed the boat. He would be watching birds. He was an ornithologist. I learned about the fatherhood of God from somebody on earth who was a father. Do you have a father? Do you have a spiritual father? Do you have a mentor? Do you have someone that just accepts you? Because my experience with Arthur then began to turn my life towards caring for other people because I had to express what I'd received. You can't be like the Dead Sea. It comes in and you've got to express it out. The very last promise of the Bible, the very last prophetic word of the Bible is Malachi 4.6. It says he's going to, there's coming a day in this end time church when he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children, therefore, to the fathers. That is going to happen in the church. The church is going to be in an age of rebellion as well as harvest time. The church will be the safest place on earth. We heard it this morning from the testimonies. I've come into a family. I found a father. I found a brother. My relationship with Johnny began as a father, but now it's much more brothering. I feel like he's brothering me. It's great. I don't feel like I've got to try and say, hey, don't forget I'm your father. That's the Victorian thing. That's gone. I've changed. My journey has stages of revelation of the heavenly father who's so much more generous than me. And the wonderful thing is he honors me most of the time. He is the good, good father. There's a friend of ours called Alan Vincent who was part of a, a revival in a very small geographic area of India, uh, a genuine revival. Thousands were saved. And Alan Vincent told me personally of a story about how he went to an orphanage. And he was speaking out of Romans 8, 14 and 15. I don't know if it can go up on the screen there. Somebody could turn to Romans 8, 14 and 15 for me. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you should live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And in this orphanage, Alan Vincent was talking about this very scripture, Romans 8, 15. And as he was sharing with the orphanage workers, the children, the orphans, began to come downstairs 
to try and listen to Alan. And of course, the workers tried to shoo them back upstairs again. And he said, no, 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 let them stay. Let the children stay. And he preached his sermon on this particular passage. And when he finished, these little children, he told me, began to get up and dance. And they were shouting, shouting, shouting this word, shouting, shouting. And he wasn't familiar with the, the different form of Urdu in that region. And so he turned to the, the, host, the uh, orphanage workers. He said, he said well, what, what, what's, what's going on here? What are the children saying? He said, it's amazing. He said, they're shouting, daddy, daddy, daddy. And they were orphans. So when you gave your life to Jesus, Nate, the other day, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were an orphan. But through a miracle, you're transferred into God's family, and you're now a son. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, well, if I was an orphan and I was adopted, it says the word adoption there, we're adopted as sons. Well, you'd always feel a little bit inferior. You know, he's genuinely Dan's son. But listen, uh, here comes another one who was an orphan. And you come into the family, but you feel a little bit inferior to him because he's got the DNA. He's got the... You won't have that hair for long. And he... <laughs> but he is... Come on back with me. But he... But he is this adopted son who was an orphan, but now he's an adopted son. It's not the same. That didn't happen in the gospel. There was a miracle transfer that when you came into the kingdom, you came into father's family, you're no longer an orphan. You are genuinely a son with the same sperma, the same DNA. You're a son, you're a daughter of this one. You're not just adopted as an orphan. You're changed and transformed into royalty. We've got, to, we've got to take hold of that because that's the message of the church. Turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons, the sons to the fathers. In, a, in an age of culture which is in rebellion increasingly, where there's a lack of identity, where there's a loss of formation in the family that's now given over to the school system, and goodness knows where that's going. Am I a boy or a girl? I'm not sure. Well, just look down. One of, the, one of the beautiful pictures of the way the father presents himself to David is as a shepherd. And because Jesus came to reveal the father, therefore you find the common characteristic of Jesus is as a shepherd. The father is a shepherd father. He cares for the sheep. One of the greatest enemies of sheep are bugs. Do you ever get bugged by people? Just linger too long when the light turns from red to green and you'll know what it is to be bugged. And what happens is that parasites come and they are attracted to the moistness of the sheep's nose and they lay their eggs on the nose. It sounds a bit gross. 
and those parasites crawl up, these bugs, into the nasal channel, and then they hatch, and they drive the sheep crazy. Sheep will dart this way and suddenly stop and dart that way to try and get rid of the torment. They'll even bang their head against a tree or on the ground or they'll butt one another. And the shepherd notices this. And he carries in his pouch some oil mixed with sulfur. Psalm 23 puts it this way. He anoints my head with oil. How many of you find you get bugged by other people? How many of you feel like you need to forgive your father for abuse or neglect or the fact that he was never there or the fact that he didn't communicate his heart, never spent time with you? I remember two occasions when I was alone with my father, two. Now I have access to presence day and night. Have you got a father in the family besides Dan? He can't father everyone. We are a discipling, fathering community. Our culture has lost fatherhood. The church is the solution. And when I say fatherhood, you know, ladies, I'm including motherhood. My wife's a great mother. And so he will come and he'll bring the sheep and he'll smother their head with this oil and sulfur and it keeps away the parasites. We need that in the church. We need that individually in my life.